Well, happy Mother's Day. Why don't we welcome all of our moms here this morning? I have a special guest at the end of our service, and I'll just leave that for a surprise. That's why I'm sitting, and I'm going to interview a mother. I'll let you decide who that mother is. I've been living with her for 26 years, so that gives you a hint of who that is. Before we get started, I'd just like to share some Mother's Day thoughts or quotes this morning. This particular individual wrote, Mom, I love you even though I'll never accept your friend requests. Serena Williams, the famous tennis player, says this, I've conquered a lot of things, blood clots in my lungs twice, knee and foot surgeries, winning grand slams, being down a match point, to name just a few, but I found the far the hardest thing to figure out is a stroller. I can attest for that as a dad. Reese Witherspoon says this, I always say if you aren't yelling at your kids, you're not spending enough time with them. Amen, moms? <laughs> Amen. Old-time comedian Phyllis Diller, I, I don't, I, she was way beyond my, before my time, sorry, says this, I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford. Then I want to move in with them. Sounds like a pretty good plan to me. Another individual says, thank you, Mom, for not telling my sisters that I'm your favorite. Another individual says, happy Mother's Day, Mom. And in quotations, it says, and by the way, quick apologies for ages 13 to 21. And of course, we can all apply, all moms can attest to this. A mother's a person, you can always see how long the chicken lasts in the refrigerator, how long it lasts. How many have made that call? Mom, is this okay to eat or is this okay to... I love this one. Silence is golden unless you have kids. Then silence is just suspicious. Every day I wake up and think, how on earth did I become so much like my mother? How many have, 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 have that? Every, uh, yep, exactly. Exactly. Not me. I'm, I'm raising a hand for you. And lastly, Betty White says this. It's not easy being a mom. If it were easy, fathers would do it. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> but it is true. Moms, we celebrate you today. You know, we come to church on Sundays to worship. We come, first and foremost, is to come and hear what the Word of God says to us, how God is speaking to us. That's the first and foremost reason we come. We come, we just got done singing, we corporately worship, we pray. And then there's certain, we are encouraged, we fellowship with one another. But the, uh, there's other days like today that we celebrate a group of people. And today that group of people are mothers. You know, God etched into his plan moms. You were created by God for a specific purpose. And there's days like this we want to honor you. So the inception of Mother's Day, I'll give you a little bit of history. The official Mother's Day came in the 1900s when a woman by the name of Ann Jarvis started this petition to start a day to remember moms. Her mom just died in 1905, and she wanted a day to remember the sacrifices moms make for their kids. After gaining financial backing from Philadelphia department store John Wanamaker, in May of 1908, she, he, she organized the first official Mother's Day celebration in a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. The same day also saw thousands of people attend a Mother's Day event at the Wanamaker store in Philly. Following her success of Mother's Day, she remained unmarried and childless her whole life, resolved to see this one day added to the calendar nationally. Well, in 1912, many states, including churches, adopted this day as an annual holiday. 
However, she got her wish in 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. So this day was started by a, a, a lady who just loved her mom so much. Being a mom is the oldest occupation in the world. Amen? Okay, you don't seem too thrilled about that, but we read it in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, okay, you know, uh, or sorry, Genesis chapter 3. I believe God instilled in mothers this love, this unconditional love, and I believe it replicate, replicates the love that God has for us, his, his, his humanity, the unconditional love. You know, I, I think of that passage of Scripture in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, that unconditional love is etched in moms. Moms, you have that love for your kids. We know the saying, you have a face only a mother could love, right? Well, God's seen the ugliness of us. And his love worked through that, sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can know him. Moms, no matter what we look like, no matter what we've done, mothers are always there to guide us, protect us, even when we were out of their watch care. Aren't you glad for your mothers? Maybe we're in different stages of life, and maybe we didn't have a great mom, and there's a lot of, lot of different situations here. But today we want to just think of, look, look at the idea of being a mom this morning. However, we look at mothers differently throughout the years in our life. When we're four or five years old, uh, you know, moms can do anything, right? At 11, moms don't know everything, at age 17, 18, moms know nothing. At 25, mom may know a few things. At 35, we say, let's, let's ask mom. And at 45, we say, I wonder what mom would do. And then as we get to be older and age 65 and older, we just wish there was a time we could just speak to our mom and thank her for all she's done. Mothers, listen, God has created you in his image he has made you specifically to sustain life and to give life. Let's review here what the Bible teaches about this. Genesis chapter 2, creation. God said everything he made was what? Good. He makes man. He realizes they need a helpmate. He says it's not good for man to be alone. And who does he create? Let's say it, ladies. He created us. He put Adam to sleep, took a took a rib, formed woman. So out of man and out of woman, who is the only one of those two who can be a mom? Say, there's no trick answer. What is it? A woman. Unlike the popular craze of our culture that men can somehow be moms and get surgeries to feed babies is bizarre, the word of God and the truth of God's word is women were created to be moms. Dads, we're created to be dads, not moms, okay? Don't mean to step on anyone's toes who think otherwise. Just go on what the Word of God says here this morning. Isn't it amazing that when you look at how God created you, you your mothers, how He created ladies particularly, that you can sustain life in your body for nine months? Absolutely blows my mind. And then... While the baby is the oh, baby, the human is in your belly, you are feeding that baby to grow just by some coincidence, right? No, but by the very creation of God. And then as that baby is born, 
And I, I, I did it five times. I cut that umbilical cord that cuts the, the, the life, the food sustenance to that child from the mother. And then that baby, miraculously, moms, you can still feed that baby with your body. Truly amazing. And people say it was just some big bang in the world that, oh yeah, women can do this. Moms, what you, God made you to be is truly amazing. Don't think it anything else. Not even from a scientific or a biological perspective. But how God gave you moms just the, the compassion and the love and the, the patience and the long suffering that dads sometimes don't have with your kids. I'm reminded of an illustration. A mother and a daughter were in a grocery store shopping and the daughter was like three or four years old and she was acting up, which we know a lot of three or four year old kids do. I want this, I want that. So the mother's like, Ellen, calm down. Ellen, we're going to be done soon. Ellen, we're going to go home and have lunch. Ellen, it's going to be okay. And so as they check out of the grocery store, the cashier looks at the mother and says, Mom, kudos to you. I mean, how you handled your daughter, Ellen, how you calmed her down. And she looked at the cashier and says, Lady, I'm Ellen. (laughs) So, moms, you just know how to even calm yourself down, which is great. Well, this morning we are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 this morning. I think if there is a, if there's a prominent passage of Scripture in mother, in mo- on Mother's Day, it is the story of Hannah. And we're going to just dive into this chapter. And we're, we're, we're a church that ex- exposes Scripture. We expound on Scripture. And we're going to go through this text this morning. And moms, this is for you. Dads, you sit back and you just you, you tote on your wife. You, you, you take care of her today. This is her day. All right? So this message is for you moms. And so, um, Dad, yours is coming in a couple weeks. So there's a, there, you'll see a word on the screen this morning, and the word is legacy. Mom's going to ask you a question. What kind of legacy are you leaving your children? What kind of legacy are you leaving your children? See, through the pages of Scripture, we can see how God used godly women, mothers, to raise godly men. Where there's a godly man, there's most likely a godly mother who is raising that son or that daughter up. We think of Jochebed. Jochebed was the mother of Moses. And what do we know since being a little child, the story of Moses, this woman placed her baby Moses in a wicker basket and pushed him down the Nile because of an edict that Pharaoh was to kill all Jewish babies. What love for a child. We think of Ruth, a Moabite woman, who through her line came Obed, Jesse, King David, and ultimately Jesus Christ. We think of Esther, how God raised up Esther to preserve the Jewish people. And of course, during Christmas time, we celebrate Mary, who God visited and actually conceived through the Holy Spirit to bear the Christ child, the Messiah, to bring salvation to the world. So this morning we're going to look at another lady by the name of Hannah, who God used in a great and mighty way. Let's begin reading in verse 1 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. 
The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. I want you to underline that. I want you to circle that phrase because that is the crux of the story right here. This is why we're in this story this morning. Penina had children. Hannah did not. Now, I'm sure if you're not familiar with the Bible, like, hey, what's going on here? I want to build that momentum this morning. There's a few few things historically and culturally we need to understand about the time of Hannah. Understand this. In the culture, in the Jewish culture, having children was a blessing. Having children was a blessing. We read the psalmist in Psalms 127, 3 through 5. He says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, as families, our quivers are different sizes, right? But understand this culture, having children you were considered blessed by God. So what does that mean if you had no children? Well, if you were, had no children, you were barren, you were childless, they considered this to be a curse from God. So I want us to start thinking of what is going on in Hannah's mind at this point. Many times we read Bible stories, we just kind of read through them, okay, that's thousands of years ago. But I want us to really take hold of Hannah, of what is happening in her life right now. Being barren was not something a woman wanted In fact, Rachel in Genesis 30 says this, Give me children or let me die. Give me children or let me die. Actually, Hannah uses the word in verse 11, infliction. Suffering are great pains. It's actually, history tells us that actually during this time of Hannah and Elkanah, there was was rabbinical law, not scripture, but rabbinical laws and sayings that were placed on them. And here was a couple of them. If you were a Jew and you didn't have a wife, you could be excommunicated from, from God. Wow. So you couldn't be single and have a relationship with God. The other, is which we find ourselves today, is you had a Jew with a wife who didn't have kids. That woman could be excommunicated from God. Again, not from biblical perspective, from human law that was placed on the Jewish people. So here was the, the catch. After 10 years, if your wife could not conceive... You had two options. A, you could divorce her. B, you could marry another woman who could have children. So we see in our story this morning, he chose option B because it says he had two wives. He didn't divorce her. And we're going to find out in the story, Elkanah truly loved Hannah. So understand, you're getting where we're... I want you to put yourselves in Hannah's shoes this morning of how she is feeling mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Let's continue reading in verse 3. Now this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from this city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons. Now, as a guy, as I read that, I don't know if that was the first things that would come out of my mouth to my wife who was struggling with this particular issue. 
This morning I would like to look at three traits we can see in mothers or traits that we need to glean for ourselves as moms. Our first trait this morning is this. Godly mothers encounter problems. Godly mothers encounter problems. Moms, do you have problems? <laughs> yes. Moms, we do. It's humanity. Part of being a mother is there's a lot of problems that you are put, fires you're putting out in a day. We'll see Hannah here. There are three problems we see in this text. One, she was infertile. Okay, so you understand what infertility means? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's so bad in our culture today where it affects your mental and emotional stability. Back then, culture saying you're worthless. Okay, so that was the first problem. Two, she had a rival living in the house. Penina. Yeah, I know you ladies are like, I can't believe he did that, right? But again, he's just following what the, law, the, the rabbinical law was. They were allowed, they were permitted to do this. And thirdly, her husband. Aren't I better than ten sons, Hannah? I mean, that's sleeping out in the shed statement. But we're going to see that Elkanah truly loved Hannah. Okay, Jewish custom says Hannah's worthless. She's cursed. She can't give to her husband what he wants, a child. I have failed him. This is what Hannah, this is what's going through Hannah's mind through these years. What is my purpose? When the purpose of having children, you're blessed by God and you can't have kids, what's my purpose? These trips to the temple for Hannah were sad. She felt rejected. And no doubt, if there's a little bit of flesh in Hannah, which she's human, she wanted to poke the eyes of Penina right out. Because it says there in the text, what's it say? She provoked Hannah. Can you imagine what she was doing to poke at Hannah? Oh, you can't have kids. Oh, why don't you watch my kids? Ready? I know, ladies. I know how it is. I have a wife. I know how it works. So, ladies, this is Hannah's state of mind. This was very hard for her. And if we can relate to today, Mother's Day for some ladies is not a fun day. It's not a day of celebration. It's a reminder, like it was for Hannah, of what they're unable to have. Infertility affects one out of eight people, out of one, one out of eight ladies in America today. 12% of our women in our country are infertile. 7.3 million American ladies. That's, that's, that's a lot of ladies who cannot conceive. And this is a hard topic. Mother's Day, you have a, a group of individuals who fall into different categories. And I, I think we need to touch base on this this morning. And we must understand, as probably many of us have come to the realization, that life, death, everything between, before and after, it all comes down to the God, sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. I don't understand. I can't give answers. Your family can't give you answers. I can't understand you know, how a, a godly family who is serving the Lord, who is begging for children, they're barren, yet these teenagers can get pregnant and abort their babies and throw their babies up for adoption like it's a, a piece of trash. And I, I can't comprehend that. But I have to go back to the fact that God is sovereign and i want to just take you to a verse in romans chapter 11 where paul is telling the christians here this we may not understand hannah at this point does not understand she is begging and pleading to god god give me a son 
Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever given a gift to him that he might repay? And underline verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's sovereignty. And so ladies, if you are in that situation or you're watching via Facebook, I want to just say one thing to you this morning to encourage you. I want you to know that your value and your worth is not on what you can produce. Let me say that again. Your value and your worth is not on what you can produce. Like having a child. As we see about Hannah. Hannah was struggling. This was what the culture was saying she was. But you were created in the image of God. And God loves you. And he has a plan for you. You may not understand at this point. And I, I don't understand it. But understand God loves you. And he has a plan for you. You're in good company. You're not alone. He has not abandoned you. We can read through the pages of Scripture. Sarah, 99, finally getting her one and only son, Isaac. Rebecca, Rachel, Ruth, the mother of John the Baptist, was elderly when she gave birth to John the Baptist. If you're unable to have children, you are not cursed. But you are kept for a blessing. That God has for you that we don't know what that is. But God has that for you. This may be an encouragement for you that are going through that or for individuals here that have friends or family that are struggling with this. Here's some three things to think about this morning. Maybe God is still preparing you to be a mother. Sarah, 99 years of preparation. Number two, maybe God is preparing you to adopt or be a foster parent. I worked with a lady, her name was Jackie, when I worked in the insurance industry up in Harrisburg, and, and her and her husband couldn't have children. And I, that was a time when, when Megan and Mitchell were rugrats. They were babies, they were little, and so, of course, they would bring, throw parties for, you know, your kids. And she was always there with a smile, and she was always celebrating anytime any of our co-workers had children. And knowing I knew her pain. I sat across an aisle from her at a cubicle, and I can remember her sharing her story with me. And I remember one day, she got a call, and I heard her crying in the cubicle. I kind of leaned back in my chair, and I said, are you okay? And she looked at me with these tears of joy. She goes, I'm out of here. I'm going to get my son. I was like, go get your boy. Go get your boy. Why? Because her and her husband knew that their job, they wanted to adopt or to foster children. Maybe that is what God has for you. Or lastly, and this is where we really rely on God's sovereignty. God may keep you in this walk that way because having children may get in the way of what his plans are for you. And that is hard to swallow if you really want a child. I'm reminded of of, of, of. Rob and Nancy Morris at Mount Calvary. I was talking to Ken about it earlier. Joel, you know, you probably had Nancy as a teacher. Nancy and Rob, they could not have children. She was teacher there for 40-some years. He was the custodian of the church. And they just, Junior, I love that couple. We just love them to death. And she used to tell us, God did not give me children, but he gave me hundreds of students that are my children. 
And her funeral, she died several years ago of cancer. Her funeral was full of people that she impacted. If she would have had children, the attention wouldn't have been on them. There's ways you have to look at those things. And so if you're in that situation, listen, you are loved. God loves you. You are not cursed. God has other blessings for you in your life. I know Mother's Day is not always a fun day for you. Hopefully that can be an encouragement for you. And for those that may give that advice to someone else. So not only did godly mothers have problems. Hannah had infertility, had this, this, this lady that was living in the home, the other wife, her husband. Secondly, we see, the second trait we see is godly mothers create lasting priorities. Lasting, I mean, godly mothers create lasting priorities. Look at verses 9 through 20. Now, we're just going to kind of read a couple of verses and overview it this morning. Okay, so we understand, you know, we're at Hannah. You know where she is at mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Okay, so now here's the next part of the story. So they're up at the temple. They're sacrificing, they're eating. So after they have eaten, verse 9, and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. So she gets up. Now Eli was the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Okay, this has been going on for years. This was a struggle for her. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. I want you to underline and circle Lord of hosts. Because when we see different names of God mentioned in the Bible as a prayer, in the Old New, Old New Testament, they would use those words because they were, they were focusing on a particular attribute of God. Now, we're going to come back and let you know what Lord of hosts means and what Hannah was saying in her prayer. So she vowed a vow, but Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to me your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. So here's Hannah. She is saying this, God, give me a son. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you. That's her prayer has been this prayer for years. Because we know the, the rest of the story. Hannah is talking, and Eli thinks she is intoxicated, and she is drunk. Look at verse 16. Or actually, verse 15. Hannah says, no, 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 Lord, I am troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk in wine or strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. There's that word worthless. She thinks she's worthless. She's coming before the Lord. The only one that's going to accept her for who she is. And she tells the priest, Look, don't, don't consider me a worthless woman. She has this in her mind because of how she has been living this life of being barren. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She is distressed. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you may have made to him. And she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. I want you to underline this, this phrase too. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And the rest of this text tells us, early they rose in the morning, they went back home, and Elkanah and Hannah had a son, and they called him Samuel, which means God hears. Godly mothers create lasting priorities. What do we see Hannah doing in this text? Was she blaming God? Was she blaming her husband? No. Verse 10, she prayed and wept to the Lord. She prayed and wept to the Lord. 
The Lord of hosts, we're going back to that phrase. It's in the Hebrew. This is what it means. God, you're the commander of the heavenly armies. You are sovereign. And she is praying, God, Lord of hosts. She's saying, you are in control. You are sovereign over all. God, here's my request. If you would let your servant please have a son. I know you're the commander of the heavenly army. I know you're a sovereign. So whatever you have for me, God, here's my request. She is appealing to the sovereignty and to the power of God. Hannah does not shake her fist at God. Hannah is not blaming anyone here. In fact, she is taking her requests and her cares to God. kind of reminds me of two verses in the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I wanted you to underline that phrase, that, that phrase in the verse. When she left the temple, she was no longer sad. She went into the temple, sad, came out, glad. Why? Because in her priority of talking to her God, God gave her peace. God gave her peace in her distress. You see, Hannah had a really, really close relationship with her God. There was a depth in her that loved God. And even in her distress, she goes, I got to go talk to my God. He is the one who gives me peace in my distress. How about you moms? What are your priorities in life? What are your priorities with your kids? And I, let, me, let me just say moms. I mean, grandmothers too. Grandmothers, I know you can already raise your kids. Like, I'm done that. Now I've got to have fun with the grandkids. I get that. But you can still have influence with your grandbabies. Moms, I know no doubt you want to care for them. You feed them. You clothe them. You, you care for them. You take care of their problems. And even, even as adult children, you're probably maybe still taking care of some of their problems. And that's just what we do. But how about spiritually? Are you a praying mom? Do your kids see you praying? Do they see you in the Word? Are you encouraging your kids to pray and to read God's Word? Many times, humanly, even as a dad and as moms, we want our kids to be financially sick. We want them to have a house. We want them to make sure they have a good job. Ba 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 ba. And that's all great. But understand here, as we'll get to the end of our, our story this morning, Hannah only cared about Samuel's spiritual state. Are we pouring into our kids' spiritual life? Putting them in a direction where you feel that God has directed and gifted them in. I look at my life and I look back at my mom, and my mom was a, a prayer warrior. She still is today. I can remember in the summertime, my dad would go to work, my brother and I were at home, which was trouble. Um, she would say, listen, I'm going to my room, I'm going to have my devotions, unless you're dying, don't bother me. And we were like, yay, yes. But there were times I just stood by my mother's door and I could hear her pouring her heart out. She was praying for Judy and my sister-in-law, Rachel, when we were 11 years old. Not by name, but pray that my boys find godly women to marry. I remember her praying that. My mom was a prayer. Are you a prayer warrior? And we see two priorities here, I think, in the text. One, her priority was God. In her distress, she went to God. The second priority I see her having here, I believe she cared for her husband. You see verse 5, 
Elkanah gave her a double portion because he loved her. She, he knew her womb was closed. He loved her. Even in the conversation, verse 8, when he said, listen, don't, aren't I better than having ten sons? That statement were like, what it shows, it shows that a husband and wife can have difficult conversation and still love each other. Her priority was God, and then it was her husband. It wasn't Penina. It was her husband. It's important that our kids see moms a loving relationship in the home. We were, all of our kids are home now, you know, so our grocery bill will go up now. Um, but they're home. So we're, last night we're sitting around goofing off, talking, just having fun. And maybe you've experienced that with your family when they all come home. And it, it was so much fun. Goofing off together. Kids need to see that with husband and wife. Even kissing and hugging. You know, Mariah's still at the stage. She's 10 and we're kissing and hugging in the kitchen. She'll come up, Daddy, Mommy, Right? Now, for the other kids, they're like, gag me with a spoon, stop now. And they'll just leave. Right, Megan Mitchell and Mason, right? But our kids need to see that. See, not only did Hannah set lasting pri- priorities by putting God first, putting her family second, but third and last, we see that godly mothers produce godly plans. Godly mothers produce godly plans. Look at verses 21 through 26. So Samuel is born. Elkanah's getting ready to make another trip to the temple. And here's where the story finds us. The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I want you to circle the word weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Okay, this is, she's, she's fulfilling her promise to God in the prayer before Samuel came. Remember what she said? Listen, if you give me a son, I'm giving him back to you. So here she is fulfilling her promise here. Verse 24, when she had weaned him, I'm sorry, so when the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned, circle the word nurse there as well, and she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. I want us to understand something about this story. We have this picture that many times, and some commentaries think that, uh, that Samuel went up to the temple probably the age of three. Um, do you remember when your kids were three? Here, Eli. <laughs> Here's my son. Have fun. Can you imagine three-year-olds being donated to the church? Here, I'm giving him to the Lord. He's yours now. All right. Some historians and theologians believe, and we're going to look at these two words, nursing. So let's look at the two words, nursing and wean. Okay, nursing, it transcends time. So in, in, in the Old Testament, it means what it means here thousands of years later. Okay. It's the dependence of a child on its mother for nutrition. Okay, we, uh, nursing. That was the same as the Old Testament. It is today. Makes sense. Weaning, however, we encapsulate those two words. Okay, nursing, after done nursing, okay, they're weaned off and now they're on solid foods. However, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, weaning means something a little bit different, a little bit more involved. Here's what the Hebrew meaning for wean means. It means to deal fully with or to put in motion action 
What I'd like to give here a word is influence. See, there's many that believe that Samuel did not go to the temple until between the ages of five and seven because of this Hebrew word weaned. And that's why we have to understand word meanings when we're interpreting Scripture. It helps us understand what it meant in this culture and what it means in our culture. Can you imagine Eli getting a two, three-year-old kid? The, baby's not, the, the, the temple's not full of a bunch of kids running around. Samuel was prepared to do the Lord's work, and I believe Hannah was a big part of that. I believe we see that example what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy was being weaned spiritually for the job at hand. So, our culture is different from the Old Testament culture. When the Old Testament and New Testament, 12, 13 years old, you had a job, you were working with your dad, and you got married and you had kids. That's how God made us and created us. So we kind of built a bridge to our culture. So when do kids leave the house, hopefully? <laughs> you know, 18, graduate high school, go to college, you're kind of out the door. That's kind of when your weaning ends, your spiritual influence ends with them. Moms, it is a privilege to raise your kids during those years. Don't take it for granted. To have that kind of influence for that short, and it's a short amount of time. I know you with little kids, you're like, I cannot wait till they get out of the house. But that time is short. And Hannah's influence on Samuel was key for the job he was to take at the temple. Look at verse 26, and she says, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am a woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. You remember, Eli? You remember when I was praying here? For this child I prayed that the Lord has granted to me a petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. That word lent there, here's the understanding. The Lord gave this child to Hannah, and Hannah is giving this child back to God. Okay, so let's not forget Hannah's mindset here. Remember, she feels worthless. She can't fulfill her obligations as a husband. She's got this woman provoking her in the house. God gives her a son. God answers her prayer. And what does she do with this son? Gives it back to God. She trains him up in the way of God. And then as we believe the word weaned to be five, seven years later, she gives him to Eli, gives him to the temple forever. There's no spring break coming home, getting laundry done, having a meal. He is in the temple for the rest of his life. What does that tell you about Hannah, the godly mother of Hannah? Mom's time is short. Your job is to direct your kids to the Savior for salvation, one, and to allow them and show them a, the way to live a godly life so they can emulate that in their life. This is what Hannah did. You, we are weaning our kids spiritually. So when they get to that age, and again, when they get to that age, 18, 19, they're going to make a choice. They have a free will. They're, you're going, they're going to choose whether they're going to follow God or not follow God. But moms, you do the job you need to to get them to that point 
where you are going, you're raising them spiritually. Let me just say this. Moms, don't, I know because moms, in a way, I I love Judy and she's a great mom. Sometimes kids know how to manipulate, don't they? Mom. Actually, I think it's more me that gets manipulated, right? Yeah, (laughs) she's pretty good. (laughs) She's like, no. But spiritually, we've seen it in the church. Kids love coming to church when they're in elementary school. But middle school, middle school comes, high school comes. Eh, moms, I don't want to go to church anymore. I never had that conversation with my mom. I would have been knocked in the next week. What? You said you're not going, what? You don't love Jesus? What's going on with you? What happens is moms would get caught in. Oh, they don't feel like going to church. You know, stay home. Then next week, stay home. And you're not going to go to that church. You're not going to get involved. With, no, you, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it, moms. That's Satan's distraction of pulling them away from being weaned spiritually. Church isn't the answer. You're not coming to church. It's going to bring you salvation. But being around godly influence is what we want our kids to be with. Amen? And the first thing they do, I don't want to go to church. And we let that go. We let that go. What happens? Weeks, months, years later, we're so-and-so. Ah, yeah, he's, yeah. No, you got played. Don't get played. Don't get played. I remember sitting in church when I didn't want to be sit, sit in church, and I would sit there like this as a pastor's son. See, Mason's sitting that way. So, sitting like this. And my heart wasn't there, but I had to be there. Why? Because my dad would have finished my backside pretty hard if I would have said, I'm not going to church. Kids, listen, young people, if your mom is telling you to go to church, you go to church. She is spiritually weaning you to do what is right with the things of God. You have a choice. As Joshua told the nation of Israel, hey, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, you can go worship the gods of the Amorites. You can worship the gods beyond the rivers in Egypt. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Moms, you be that, that stickler. No, we're going to go to church. I don't care if you don't want to go. Suck it up and take it. Here we go. We're going to church. Right, little Johnny? I know, moms, you can do it. You can do it. Continue to live that way. So as a reminder this morning, ladies, godly mothers have problems. We encounter problems, don't we? And what we do with those problems is goes along with our priority. Our prior priority when we have a problem is going to God, having a relationship with God. And then the family, husband and family falls in line, have lasting priorities that will last for eternity and godly mothers, you can produce plans for your kids. You can encourage them to go in a direction. They may not choose that way, but you encourage them in their gifts and their abilities. Influence your children to pursue things that will matter for eternity, not things that will burn up and be destroyed, like a job, like materialism. But are you training up your kids that things that will last for eternity? So moms, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. So that closes our, our message this morning. So the, as we close out this morning, um, I know you're getting ready to go out to eat and take your mom out to eat. I've asked my wife of 26, almost 27 years, and a mother of 23 to come. I have some questions for her. So let's welcome Judy to the, to the stand this morning. Here you go. Have a seat. Now you know how I feel ever since then. Right. So I'm going to ask Judy just some questions just about motherhood. Um, 
she's, she's a great mom. She's been a great mom, and I know don't all... Ask them. Don't ask them, no. <laughs> but just some questions, and just maybe you can glean, maybe young moms out there can glean some, um, some truth and some help. And so the first question I, I want to ask you is, who's the best husband of... No, I won't do that. Um, first question. In your years of being a mom, what is the best part of being a mom? What's the best part of being a mom in the 23 years you were a mom? Okay, I would say it's just being part of something bigger than yourself. So I can guide them, I can help them, and you have bad days, yes, but you get to applaud their wins. You get to be there with them at their games, whether they win or lose. You get to be part of everything. So it's something just outside, okay, I can't be all this self-centered person. I have this whole row of people that I'm responsible for. So it's just neat to see them grow and mature in this huge gamut of fun that we've done this so far. Yeah, Ian, you do a good job of that. Because I, you know, I, in the area of coaching all the kids, and I come home just fired up, and she's like, you've got to calm down. You know, she's very, very good at that. Good at that. Okay, next question. What is the hardest thing about being a mom? Um, <laughs> no pointing fingers. <laughs> They're all pointing at Mason. <laughs> so. uh, okay, so I think overall, those of you that are moms, I would say it's sacrifice. So that can be a broad category of things that are under that, whether it's your time, your energy, your, you know, as your mom of a newborn, you're sacrificing because you're not getting any sleep. You're tired, you're sleep deprived, and you're exhausted. As you get older, I always thought as they're little, you know, you're just crazy busy just trying to entertain them all day long and play and do this and this and this. And you thought, oh, it'll get easier once they go to school. But it didn't. It just got busier and busier and busier. And I don't know if that's society making us and pushing us to be busy. But we're just so busy that sometimes the sacrifices, you know, I don't necessarily do the things I want to do as much as these are the things I need to do. I have to do the laundry. And, oh, my, there's always a load and mountains, actually, and dishes and cleaning. You do laundry? You things. do laundry? Really? I do. I do all yours. <laughs> and then um, all these other things, you know. So you sacrifice. You do. If you're being a good mom, it's not about you. It's about everyone else. We're done now. You can go now. I'm just kidding. Okay. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> All right, what yeah, that's hard to get. So what, is, what advice would you give moms or, or moms with young children? What, would you, what advice would you give them? Okay, I have a couple things actually, but I won't keep you here all day because you want to go to lunch probably. But um, the big thing is love every stage. So if you have a newborn, don't wish that away. Like, oh, I wish the baby would sleep through the night, you know, hurry up and get older so it sleeps through the night because guess what? I'm going to be a half a century and all my babies sleep through the night and now they're starting to leave home and I'm upset about it. They get, oh, come back, come back. I can't get that stage back. I can't get back to where we weren't in school and we were just home and happy. So enjoy each stage because it's going to fly by and they say that, you know, oh, life is so quick. And when I was a kid myself, I thought, oh, what are they talking about? It's so slow. I can't wait to be done school and I can't wait to go to college. I can't wait to get married and I can't wait to have kids. Well, guess what? they're grown and where am I? I'm old. So don't rush it because you will blink and it will be gone. And there's one other thing. When we were at Mount Calvary, we were really blessed at the time when we went there to have a gr very large group of young marrieds who were having kids. And I know our church is starting that cycle again where we're having some new babies. There was a book and a group study we did called Growing Kids God's Way. Um, it was hands down the biggest blessing and advice that we had together. It talked about how to get 
on a schedule how to, you, the baby's not controlling you, you have a choice to control the schedule and how you work through that and about discipline and okay moms, it's okay to discipline your kids because if you don't believe me, when you go to school and they go to school, you're going to be the mom everyone's talking about because you haven't disciplined your kids. <laughs> so they're going to know you didn't discipline your kids. It's your job to take care of it. They're naturally, we have a sin nature. They're naughty and they need to be disciplined and to be right and mm. sit still and be good children and show respect for authority. And that needs to come from you, not from the teacher or from the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. You at home need to teach your kids that. So as they grow, you know, that's your responsibility. That would be, don't, don't buck that onto someone else. I think that's, that's true, too. I, Judy was a, and as we disciplined our kids, and we used the, the method of the rod of correction. Um, that was, that's how I was raised, and so we, that's just how the Palmers rolled. Um, but when, especially with my little, the boys, I didn't have a problem doing that. <laughs> but with the girls, you know, the little blonde, blonde, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, daddy, daddy. And she's like, she deserves a spank. You better give it to her. Don't be up there and just tap her a little bit. You give it to her. That's what she is. So she was the enforcer many times when my little girls would come up like, oh, don't give me that look. Please don't give me that look. Because my dad used to always say, it hurts me then it hurt more than it hurts you. Yes, that is true. Even though back then, like, yeah, whatever. But it is so true. So, yeah, good answer, good answer. Two more. What was the biggest fear of having children? I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a long time. I, was, I think just not knowing. You know how sometimes you're walking to the unknown, like what, am, what are we going to do? Or we don't really know until you get experience. So it just might be that. And realize there are people to help you if you're in that stage and you have a lot of fears. There are ways to go about. People will help you if you have questions. If there's something That's you good. come across that you don't know, someone can help you. Good. Amen. Last one. What is the most rewarding thing about raising kids? Most rewarding thing. Okay, let's see. <laughs> no, I didn't say which person. So. <laughs> um, Mitchell, Mitchell's say, going like this. <laughs> That's what he's. Uh, as a whole, it's going back to just seeing all the stages. It's getting to that point where, okay, so Megan and Mitchell are now generally not home. It's that neat thing where, okay, you might get a text or you might get a phone call or they come home, it's just neat that they want to come back, that they want to be part of your family still, that they still love you, and now as adults, they're on, you know, they're on their own, making their own decisions and lives and kind of branching out, but it's neat to see that this is still our family. It's just gonna get bigger and bigger and branch out as adults into their own lives, but it's neat, that's rewarding. Amen. And so I wanna have Judy just, well, she's gonna close in prayer, just pray for mothers this morning. Um, and after that, uh, Susan, where's Susan Jess? Is she here? Susan sees that we're going to, we put something on social media. So if you want to get a picture, your mom's here. She's going to be um, outside between the buildings. Get a picture with your kids and your mom. And that's going to be available to you. So if you want to do that before you leave, please, please uh, take a picture with Susan. We'll put, post them. We'll send them to you so you can have them for keepsake. So at this point, let's have Judy just pray for our mothers. Um, just hope this was a special day for you, and hopefully your day continues to be special um, as you're honored as uh, a mother. Go ahead. Lord, as we come to you today, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for all of these people here, Lord, male and female. But Lord, as we celebrate Mother's Day, we just thank you for giving life and for giving us the ability to have children and to uh, grow our own families, Lord, with your blessing and your privilege, Lord, and what a responsibility it is 
So we just thank you for this opportunity. We just pray for all of these ladies here, Lord, whatever stage of life that they're in right now, I just pray that you would give them what they stand in need of. I pray as we go out here, Lord, we would serve you, that we would train up children to serve you, and that we would um, just bring in our community to be followers of you as well, Lord, and just be a light and a testimony. And just uh, give us a great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are just